This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where I talk all things property, or at least as much as I can possibly fit in in this rather short format. And we'll start with a little bit of local news first. This article from Stuff says, Caring Investor Scheme Generates $10 Million Worth of Housing. Palmer's North couple Darren and Cherie Birch have proved the sceptics wrong with their innovative scheme to get people into homes. It would have been easy to respect their good and kind intentions, but doubt that they could succeed, where others have struggled to make progress in an aggressive housing market. But five years on, they've celebrated success with 19 properties on the books, 22 happy households, and they're ready for a search of growth with another 80 projects in the pipeline and a partnership to provide social housing in the City Council's Tamakuku Terrace subdivision. So they've borrowed $3.1 million from patient investors and created $10 million worth of housing, and their low-income homeowners have shared in $2.5 million worth of capital gains. Financial arrangements sound complicated, but Birch prefers that the maths is reasonably sophisticated. At its heart, Homes for People depends on caring investors, not on donations, and it's a combination of social return and some financial return. The investors eventually get their money back with a return, just maybe not as much of a return as a shrewd investment in the market, but most most importantly, they provide time. Time for the organisation to find the land, to get the consents, to build the houses, match the residents with the properties and start collecting lower quartile rents or partial equity investments that those residents can afford. And I've been to some of these properties, they really are lovely, it's a fantastic thing that they're doing. They have 350 people in the Homes for People's list looking for a hand up into the property market. And that's uh, one measure of the need. The other is the 750 people they've supported in transitional housing in more than three years, some 110,000 nights of accommodation in 65 units. That's a bit like the ambulance service for those who have fallen into homelessness. The real solution is housing that prevents the fall. People trying to get into their home, own home have several pathways through several schemes. Some are homeowner, homeowner ready, just struggling to find something affordable with the deposit, mortgage and income available. So a shared equity scheme can bridge the gap. So good on them for doing that. It's been really good that uh, they've been driven by care and compassion and the Christian desire to demonstrate love, offer hope and build communities. So they've found a balance that makes the gain sustainable and that's, that's fantastic. Also in the news recently... A number of articles about a developer, um, Les Fugel, who's been on trial in the Palmer's North District Court, accused of intentional damage. So in this article from Stuff, it says that the developer is intentionally damaging the council ute during a compliance check. Uh, And since this article's come out, he's been found guilty of causing the damage. Uh, I'm not sure about the intent but he's now on, on bail. So Fugel65, whose job is listed on court documents as a labourer, accepts the excavator he was driving in November 2019 caused over $5,000 worth of damage to a Mitsubishi Triton ute owned by Horizons Regional Council. It seemed to come about through an uh, argument where he wanted the inspectors to leave the work site. 
However, uh, he does say that the damage was not intentional. Either way, though, just for more recently than that article, he's uh, been found guilty just on bail, waiting to see what those charges will be. So it just shows if the inspectors want to have a look at your land when you're doing a development, probably best to cooperate, I would suggest. Other news from across the other side of the hills, this by Paul Mitchell. Piatua's $12.2 million housing plan closes in on government grant. So the most ambitious, or probably the most ambitious housing project in Tararua District Council's history has got a step closer to reality. With house prices soaring across the district, driven by a shortage of listings, that was causing recruitment problems for local businesses looking to expand, the council planned to kickstart two large developments in Paiatua. They've applied for $8.5 million from the government's Infrastructure Acceleration Fund, which was designed to speed up new housing developments by finding funding crucial services such as roads, pipes and stormwater drainage. So Council Strategy Manager Peter Wimsett said the council's application made it to the second round of applications this week, which only 80 of the 200 nationwide registrations of interest had managed. The government wants to ensure first home buyers can get into the market, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says, and there is concern around what is happening with prices and that accessibility. Wimsett said the proposed $12.2 million plan will build all the roads, footpaths, streetlights and water systems needed for 170 new houses, with the rest of the costs funded by the council. So it would be the second largest infrastructure work ever undertaken by the council, with the current Route 52 works being the largest at $14.6 million. So if the council's efforts to secure the funding are successful, the work will be carried out at two sites in Paihetua, the Paihetua South, which would fit up to 120 new houses on 600 square metre sections, and the former Paihetua Hillcrest School, which could fit up to 50 houses on 400 square metre sections. So a bit going on there. Interesting to see how that is. And just out of interest, the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand figures show the average house price in Tararua was 465000 at the end of October. New builds, of course, would come in somewhat higher than that. And speaking of new builds, housing construction costs may get worse before they get better, according to Miriam Bell from Stuff. There's been no let-up in the increase in housing construction costs, with new figures showing that they increased by double the usual pace in the three months ending September. Nationally, costs were up 1.6% over the quarter, according to CoreLogic's Cordell Construction Cost Index. That was twice the typical quarterly increase of 0.8%, although down on the 2.2% recorded in the previous quarter. Costs also rose by the fastest annual rate in more than three years in the year ending September, and they were up 5.5% compared to 4.5% increase in the previous quarter. Timber, and in particular structural timber and cladding, was a key contributor to the cost increases, but metal costs and products were also a factor. Record high issuance of new home building consents along with supply chain disruptions and a shortage of materials made for additional cost pressures. And CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson said cost pressures might get worse before they get better. Anecdotal evidence suggested the latest lockdowns would sustain supply chain disruptions and construction material costs while the construction industry would remain busy for some time. And one reason is that investors have been strongly incentivised to buy new builds due to the exemption from the loan-to-value ratio rules and new interest deductibility rules. The government had also announced incentives to boost housing supply, including the housing densification rules from recently and the $3.8 billion fund for infrastructure to support development.
Davidson said these tailwinds for the new build demand all, all come at a time when it was not possible to import more skilled labour and the industry had a shortage of labour. So there's going to be this upward pressure on construction costs. We'll just have to see where that goes for the next wee while. Now this next one's an opinion piece, important to mention that. This is from John Bolton from Stuff. It says, mortgage decline rates set to skyrocket as responsible lending changes bite. He says, let's start with the question, should your bank have the right to judge the way you live? The government has made law changes to protect vulnerable borrowers that come into effect on December the 2nd, but that will have adverse consequences for homeowners and especially first home buyers. And in fact, a number of banks are already doing this ahead of the December 2 change. The changes to the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act will mean lenders have to apply more scrutiny to applications and conduct extra tests to determine whether loans are affordable for borrowers. This is at the same time that first home buyers are already facing new minimum deposit restrictions, and most lenders are implementing the changes ahead of the deadline and the mortgage decline rates are increasing. So more worryingly, it will impact on New Zealand's backbone of small business. Most business owners borrow against their house and many are still working through the impact of COVID. So lenders are now forced to trawl through the bank statements in detail, looking at every aspect of your life. They're being asked to assess the way you live, where you shop and what you buy. He says, do you spend too much on Friday nights? Should you have purchased those shoes on Afterpay? Will you get pregnant in the next 12 months? It's all up for interpretation, and if lenders don't do that or the regulator thinks they've got it wrong, they can end up with a fine of oh, up to $200,000 falling on the individual responsible. The problem with CCCFA legislation is that it's designed for high-risk consumer finance lending and dealing with finance companies, but it covers everything, including mortgages. It's poorly designed and feels that it's been bulldozed through without proper consultation or genuinely listening to market feedback. It will fail homeowners and has seriously unintended consequences. So over time, this legislation will push more of the mortgage market into non-banks at a significantly higher borrowing costs. He estimates that he would see the non-bank market grow to $45 billion over the next 10 years, about 10% of all homes. On average, borrowers in that market pay about a percentage point more than the major banks, so changes responsible to lending will cost affected homeowners more than half a billion dollars a year in additional interest. So we have to see where where that goes. Certainly it's getting much harder. Um, I arranged to borrow a little bit of money recently, and it's just amazing how much detail they need now. It's really quite a long process indeed. And just following on from that, this article by Susan Edmonds says, Horse has bolted on interest rate bargains. The horse has bolted and the opportunity to dodge future interest rate increases by fixing your mortgage has passed, ANZ Chief Economist Sharon Zollner says. Fixed mortgage interest rates have risen by between 20 and 28 basis points over the past month, depending on the term, her bank's analysis says. The Reserve Bank's data show the average one-year standard rate offered to new borrowers was up, sorry, it was not up, it, it was 3.2%, 3.82% in October, up from 374 in June. Zolna said the increases were part of a series that had happened in the wake of sharp lift in wholesale interest rates, driven by expectations of looming official cash rate. So just going to have to see what happens there. And also making it a little harder for lenders, this article, Kiwi Bank withdraws low deposit home loan pre-approvals. And 
Uh, Kiwi Bank is warning borrowers with existing pre-approvals they might find they cannot borrow as much money as they expect. It has sent a note to mortgage brokers saying it cannot accept any pre-approval applications over 80% on the purchase price for a property, except those that are exempt from the Reserve Bank's loan-to-value ratio rules, such as new builds. Since November 1, banks have only been able to lend 10% of their new lending to owner-occupiers wanting to borrow more than 80% of a house's value, and investors face a much stricter criteria. Kiwi Bank said it would accept deals for pre-approvals for auctions and tenders where the bank had already accepted a specific property, so long as the bid or offer was made or accepted before last Friday evening. So existing approved pre-approvals, where there has been no specific property as part of the approval, will now be limited to a maximum of 80% LVR. We will provide you with a list of these customers to confirm if the application will need to be cancelled. This is the correspondence that went out to mortgage brokers. If you sent an asylum purchase agreement after 5pm November 12th, we will not be able to proceed with an approval or property where more than 80% lending is approved. So the mortgage brokers said that while a number of banks were not offering pre-approvals for people who were not already bank customer, the Kiwi Bank move to change existing pre-approvals was different. They're effectively withdrawing the pre-approvals, and that's unprecedented. It has been since hasn't been since the ASB Bank during the GFC cancelled about a million, oh, sorry, a billion dollars of pre-approvals. So that's something that uh, you may think you're going to be all right in planning to buy accordingly, only to find out later that it's not going to go quite as planned. So we're just going to have a little bit of music now, and we're going to have a break with the Beatles. Here comes the sun.
and you're listening to Property Matters here on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, lovely having your company. Now, would you buy a former schoolhouse to live in? And this is the question that many people are being asked because a family is wanted for a retro former school that could be turned into a home. So if you want to buy a piece of New Zealand history, this is the 134-year-old Medbury Hall. It's also been the local school and town hall. Now, it could be one of the few remaining affordable family homes on the market. So Medbury Hall in Harwood and Canterbury is for sale with a floor area of 110 square metres. If you go to stuff.co.nz, you'll be able to find a, a lovely picture of it. It's on a 1.1 hectare site with a rating value of only $125,000. The hall, which the real estate agent describes as famous in Medbury, is 134 years old and for the first 40 years of of its existence was a school. But the school closed in 1927 after four of the local schools amalgamated to form one school in Harwarden. At some point in the 1900s, a hall was bought by James Spence for the sum of £50 and donated to residents to use as a community gathering place and was eventually renamed Medbury Hall. It's been used for dances and Country Women's Institute meetings, as well as it being the site of Anzac commemorations. So Medbury is no longer considered a township, it's just a mere blip in the road just off State Highway 7 near the Huranui River. So listing agent Maria Rickaby from PGG Rights and Real Estate said the Hall's trustees hoped 447 Medbury Road would be bought and turned into a family home. They'd love to sell it to someone who's going to keep it and make it a home, she said. And actually, most of the people who have come through have wanted to make it a home. It's actually got a pretty cool-looking uh, fort-type playground in it as well. So quite a lot of interest there. We'll just have to see where that, that goes. It doesn't have a heritage listing, but it does mean that you might be able to get something pretty cheap. It's going to be auctioned on no, uh, on in November, and we'll just have, I'll try and come back to you on how that one goes. As well as that... Um, there's a tiny cottage for sale amongst the Granvillas in Hearn Bay up uh, north and that used to be the local schoolhouse. So it's tiny and full of charm but the original Hearn Bay schoolhouse is likely to fetch less than the median value of New Zealand's most expensive suburb which has gone up 21% in the past year to $3.5 million. In recent years Hearn Bay has become New Zealand's most expensive suburb. You have to be prepared to spend several million to get a foot in the door there. And that's just one reason this cute but tiny Kauri cottage in Sentinel Road is attracting interest. It's a chance to get a level property on northern slopes for a lot less than what you'd pay to be a neighbour. Listing agent Blair Haddo of Paley's, Bailey's Ponsonby describes it as a very rare offering. It's gorgeous, it's tiny and people are seeing the opportunity. And the wee house has a history. It's the original Hearn Bay schoolhouse. It is talked about in the area, and some older people in the area have told vendors they went to school here. Haddo says the likely sale price for the property, which will be auctioned in December, is upwards of $2.4 million. Now, comparing that to the 110-metre schoolhouse you just talked about with a rating value of 125000 So pretty much amazing. Um, Hearn Bay has gone up 21.6%, the median has in the last year. Now this little two-bedroom, two-bathroom cottage sits on romantic old-world setting on 361 square metres and is brimming with traditional character. It's an open-plan kitchen, living area at the rear, opening out to a sunny deck and fully fenced backyard. Special features include an impressive three-metre stud and polished floorboards in the living area, a cosy sunroom that would be a home office and a separate laundry with storage. 
So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes when December comes around when compared to the property down south. This article by Miriam Bell says, Profits on selling a house as good as it gets. So a short drive on the expressway north of Hamilton is Taupuri, which is experiencing a boom in property values. This article talks about Fiona, who bought a small three-bedroom home in Hastings in 2009, cost 163000 and she sold it a couple of weeks ago for five ninety-five. Owning the property for 12 years as house prices increased steadily meant profit was always likely. But this year's runaway market meant its value rose by over $50,000 in just six months between when she had an appraisal in May and the sale. The agent said if we'd listed a few weeks earlier than we did, it could have sold for more, but we're happy with the result. And these days, Fiona's story is the norm with regular reports of sales which made substantial profits, such as a four-bedroom Auckland villa that was bought for $1.3 million in 2018 and sold for $2.57 million recently. Never before have property resellers made such good profits, according to CoreLogic's latest pain and gain report. It found 99.1% of properties nationwide were resold for more than the original purchase price in the three months to September. And that's up on the previous peak of 99.0% sent in the last quarter and 98.9% in the first part of the year. So the national median gain made by sellers had a record at 363000 Um, Quite uh, stunning, really, for having property. And again, this is really hard for people who are not on the property ladder or people trying to get onto it. Now, the resale gains are strong across all property and owner types, and every main centre reflected the national trend, which was consistent with the widespread upturn in prices over the last few years. So every single property that was sold in Dunedin went for a profit, and Wellington had the highest median resale gain of $555,000. So pretty amazing uh, where prices are going, and it just makes it very very tricky for people, again, getting on the ladder. And here's a house, uh, this one from overseas. Millionaire Pooch selling $45 million Miami villa once owned by Madonna. So that's quite a headline, isn't it? So Millionaire Pooch selling $45 million Miami villa once owned by Madonna. So Gunther, the German shepherd, was uh, the owner of this home. Now, how did that work? Well, as crazy as it sounds, even by Florida's standards, Gunther VI inherited his vast fortune, including the eight-bedroom waterfront Miami home once owned by the Material Girl singer from his grandfather, Gunther IV. At least that's what the handlers who manage the estate say. The Tuscan-style villa with views of Biscayne Bay went for, up for sale on Wednesday for $31.75 million US dollars, a whopping markup from the purchase two decades ago from the pop star for $7.5 million. The home post boasts a gilded framed portrait of Gunther IV over the living room fireplace. The dog's lineage dates back to decades when Gunther III inherited a multi-million dollar trust from the late owner, German Countess Carlotta Liebenstein, when she died in 1992. So since then, a group of handlers have helped maintain a jet-setting lifestyle for the succession of dogs. There are trips to the Milan and Bahamas where the latest Gunther recently dined out at restaurants every evening as handlers like to make sure he's well socialised. So just when you thought you'd heard it all, uh, that's um, some pretty amazing stuff. So a a chef cooks his breakfast each morning made of the finest meat, fresh vegetables and rice. He sometimes enjoys caviar, and there's never any kibble in sight. So he travels by private jet, works on obedience skills daily with his trainer, and sleeps in a lavish, round, red velvet bed overlooking the bay. 
So the trust that looks after this dog is worth about 500 million US dollars. So they're just selling, going to sell the property that has been owned by Gunther VI and his lineage. Um, it's really um, from the Only in America file, that one. I'll leave you with that one for today. And that's all that we have for you here on Property Matters. It's been lovely having your company. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to catching up with you here on npr.nz or where all good podcasts are found in a week's time. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.